table of contents uh, of your book. Uh, there are um, 18 chapters. Uh, we'll see how much we can cover. And uh, yeah. your audience is the I-4 corridor right across Central Florida. That's who you're talking to. And we okay. ha- we have a 15-minute segment and we have a 10-minute segment. And, uh, okay. and where have I found you, Julie? Where are you? I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. Wonderful. Okay, oh. Julie, here we go. Um, so glad uh, that you're with us. Here we go. Welcome again, Thank folks, you. to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We gather like this every weekend and so glad that you gather with us. So is Pete. Paquette, he's our engineer. He gets us on the air. Andrew Herdliska does the producing. And Julie Kurz is with us. She's in Phoenix, Arizona, children's ministry specialist for Church Assistance Ministries. We're going to be talking with Julie about her book, For the Faith of the Next Generation, a resource for ministry leaders and parents. Julie, uh, welcome to Orlando. I hope you're well. Thank you so much for having me. How did this book come about? Why is it important? I was a children's director for 17 years, and I evaluate everything I do, and the research was showing that we were losing so many of our church-grown kids to the faith after having the best programming, the best facilities, the best curriculums, the best teachers, and it made me wonder what we're doing to lose so many of our kids when they get to be in high school and um, college, and many of them return and many of them don't. And so I went out on a journey to understand what what God's plan is for passing faith to the next generation. Julie, you open your book with a question. Time for a change? Uh, Explain that opening chapter. What's that mean? It it is time for a change, and we don't like change. Um, For the last um, 50 years, we have had a drop-off ministry where parents, and and I want to start out by saying nobody had bad intentions. Um, um, We dropped off our kids at church and thinking the church could do the job of the home and haven't realized that the church and the home need to work together for the development of our the faith and our children. Um, the church can't follow our kids around during the week and, and teach what they and implement the lessons and the teaching we did on Sunday. And we need parents to come alongside us and um, have their own plan or come alongside the church. We need to work together to really um, model faith and teach our children um, how to walk with Jesus. And it needs to be from our own lives, from our own walk with God, that we let them in our relationship and show them how this works and how we can love Jesus and, and really help them understand the love of Jesus in our lives and then how we go out and love the world through Jesus. Julie Kurz is with us. Uh, we're talking about her book, uh, For the Faith of the Next Generation. Julie, your second topic is called God's Blueprint and God's Strategy. Uh, explain that to us. The blueprint can be found in Psalm 78, where um, where we where parents and grandparents are given that responsibility, and that is how God designed faith for the next generation, is through our generation telling them how how God worked and how who God is. And our strategy is in, in Deuteronomy 6, where it says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all of our, our, our soul, our strength, and then we're to tell our children and share with them as we walk along the road, as we lay down, as we sit down, as we sit around the table, all those opportunities that we can can let God into our conversation. Julie, tell us about uh, 
uh, topic three, it's another question. Whose responsibility is this anyway? <laughs> yes, it, and I think, you know, sometimes parents, we take too much responsibility, and we realize that, have to realize that God created our kids and that He made our kids, and He is more invested than we are as parents, and that that our job is to walk with God and to have a relationship and then to realize that that ultimately God is in charge and God will direct our kids and he will lead them to himself and and they have a choice in this matter too that they have to choose to follow Jesus in their lives as well but God's grace covers us God's grace is the most amazing thing in our lives and I'm so thankful for that. Jody Kurz is with us in Phoenix, Arizona. We're talking about her book, For the Faith of the Next Generation. Uh, topic four, Julie, the importance of relationship. Uh, what are you writing there? Relationship equals influence. And relationship is to be a priority um, in our home to keep a clean slate every day to make sure there aren't roots of bitterness that are that are um, growing and and that is a we need God's wisdom and help because we know that relationships are complicated they're difficult as as kids get older and our our personalities and their personalities we but in the end we just need to ask God for wisdom and help into how to just really keep our relationships open and loving and sweet um, so that we can share Jesus, because you can't share Jesus with someone you don't have a relationship with. I want you to talk about marriage, the foundation of the home. You do a whole chapter on this. I do, and I believe marriage is, is such the foundation is God's design. Um, a strong foundation in our marriage really helps our children to know who God is in in our lives and in our marriages. And and I don't claim to be an expert in marriage, but I've even I've been married fifty years this year, and um, marriage is a hard work. It's a lot of work, and our kids need to see authenticity in our lives and that that not everything in life is hard but it is worth it and i think that the marriage marriage is the foundation of the home but sometimes marriages go awry and we don't plan for that um and my next chapter written by terry taylor um i had her write that because she has a ministry of four step families starting a new relationship and she gives the, the real foundation for how to do that when that does happen in our lives. Um, and I just thought that was so important for her to have a part in this because we don't we, we aren't perfect people and we and God knows that and God is gonna pick us up wherever we leave off and he is gonna accomplish his purposes no matter what we do in life. And when we really seek him and, and come back and really want his will above ours. Julie, uh, you do a whole chapter on uh, this topic. It's a question again. Uh, how did children develop spiritually? Uh, expand on that, please. Yes, I, I, I asked God for many years, how is it that children develop spiritually? And I, I believe that, that, first of all, God planned every person that, that, that he created, and he has that investment in them. And then he put a children in, in a home where that is the discipleship center. And Rob Reno, the founder of Visionary Parenting, does so much work on the discipleship center being the home. And then the church comes in, too, is, and the church is like extended family. And extended family um, supports us when we are 
when we are having trouble and when we need more more help, so that church comes around the family and supports that family and becomes um, aunts and uncles and um, people who also love our children. Um, and then the last thing that I talk about is stories of faith and the importance of stories of faith in our life. And we leave them out. We have a lot of sermons, but we we don't hear how God is working in our lives and our children develop spiritually, I believe, from stories of faith. And we have left out many of the stories of faith of men and women who've gone before us. And uh, the Torchlighter series has amazing DVDs of, of men and women in history um, um, who have done great things for God. Um, Martin Luther, um, I'm drawing a blank, um, Mary Slesser, um, just so many, um, Gladys Howard, just so many people that have done amazing things, and our children need to see what God has done and what they've accomplished because they have held hands with God and and taken stands and and um, loved Him with all their hearts and done great things in the world. Julie Kurz is with us from Phoenix. Her book, For the Faith of the Next Generation. Julie, tell us about uh, this topic, shepherding children to faith in Christ. What What are you writing there in chapter <laughs> Chapter Nine? I've been wrestling is that how do we shepherd kids to faith in Christ so that they will have a lasting relationship with Jesus? And um, throughout my um, evangelical upbringing, that asking Jesus into your heart, I've just really been questioning how we, is is faith an event that's something that we, um, a one-time choice that we decide to do, or is it a journey to really understand and know God all of our lives, and and how we have made that really a, a one decision and yet I see it now more as a journey throughout my life and how God journeys with us um, to know Him all of our lives. Um, and I, I just invited people to wrestle with me in that chapter to to really see how, how children develop and, and how we can lead them into a, life, a lifetime commitment to Jesus. Julie, uh, uh, chapter 11 appears to me to be the pivotal chapter in the whole book. Faith, what children need to know to grow spiritually. Uh, tell us about that topic. Yeah. Those are, I, I believe this is, like you said, it's a, a, it is a really important chapter for parents to read as to what children need to know before they leave our home. Um and really with that foundation of relationship and and modeling our faith and our kids really watching us love God and be on a journey, the ups and downs of that and the, the doubts we have, the, the life situation. But that portion of what we teach our kids is so important that they leave with a foundation of God's Word. And um, that foundation is really helping them understand, um, well, the Ten Commandments. And what, what, is, what are the Ten Commandments about? What did God have in mind for the Israelites when he gave them to him? And how does Jesus coming and telling us that the commandments are summarized with two, in two commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then to love your neighbors yourself, and how that all fits in. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is a, just a tremendous teaching. And how do we live out the gospel in our world today? Um, the God's story, I believe that, that <clears throat> the Bible needs to be taught as a story, um, not with Bible heroes, that we need to be like a Bible hero, but we... we 
we need to see God as our Savior and our God, and we're living out for Him. Um, we're, we're seeing Him as the, the main character in, in the whole Bible. And it all is, Jesus is, is, the, is the goal of the Bible, is that they, we see God, that He rescued His rescue plan through Jesus. So there's just a number of things that kids need to have that foundation before they go out in the world on their own. Um, and I just outline all of those areas that I think are important after being my guest, children all my-, my guest is Julie Kurz. <clears throat> She's in Phoenix, Arizona. Or we're talking about her book for the faith of the next generation. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. <clears throat> You're listening to AM nine ninety. And FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We're back with Julie Kurz right after these messages. Julie Kurz uh, joins us from Phoenix, Arizona. We're talking about her book. She's talking about her book for the faith of the next generation. Julie, uh, tell us about uh, uh, watching out for performance-driven faith. Uh, what does that mean? Yes, performance-driven faith. I believe I was raised in performance-driven faith, and I raised my children with performance-driven faith. It says you can be good for God and that we should try to be good for God. And that that should be how we read the Bible, is looking at, at what we see in, in the Bible heroes is what they did right, what they did wrong, and how I need to be like that so that I can perform for God. And I believe it's so dangerous, a dangerous path, because I believe that in the end, we're raising kids many times um, as Pharisees, looking at other people as, are they measuring up? And then I've, I've observed kids getting off of this good-for-God path, and seeing them actually find God and find grace and find, um, really find the love of Jesus on a path that, that we didn't want them to go on. Um, but it, it's looking at, at the Bible as God's story, not that I'm living up to performing for him, but that I understand that I can do nothing except having Jesus into my life and um, walking with him throughout my life and and seeing that it, it's his grace that has got me here and, and he wants to walk with me through life, um, not based on performance, but based on his grace. Another question that you raised, Julie, <clears throat> what is the church to do now, you ask? Yes, we need to reevaluate what we're doing in the church um, and how we can readjust to evaluating the right things. Is our teaching affecting the hearts and the lives of our children and our families at home? Um, and I, I, I just go into into having different goals and having uh, having different ways of evaluating and measuring what we're doing in the church. And I, I believe that the church is so important in our lives and our in the lives of families, but we need now to work together for the faith of the next generation. Julie, I want you to talk about uh, keys to impactful teaching with any curriculum. Uh, what does all that mean? It's really kind of a, um, a a review of what we've been talking about, the importance of, importance of relationships um, when we are teaching our kids, the importance of seeing the Bible as God's story, um, the dangers of performance space. And it's really kind of a review of how we can teach God's word differently in our in in the with the opportunities we've had to teach kids and um, lay the foundation with any curriculum 
um, that we can be effective, seeing, seeing our lives as modeling faith to our children, as people outside of the home that our children can look to to say, oh, well, there's other people besides my parents that believe Jesus and that are walking with Jesus. Um, so I believe that that should be a helpful chapter for, for teachers that are, are teaching the children in the church. Julie Kurz is with us. She's in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, for the Faith of the Next Generation, that's the name of her book. Uh, Julie, tell us about the value of worshiping together as a family. Uh, yes, I believe that we have segregated our churches to a point where a child will never worship with their family from the time they're in the church nursery to children's church to to youth worship to where our children get to college and they look back and they they say, I did not have a church. My parents' church was not my church because I was not in that church. I worship with the youth group, and now the youth group is all dispersed, and they don't know where the youth pastor is. We have got to get the church back into worshiping and letting our children have three generations that that um, the, the generation of their generation, their parents' generation, and the generation of their grandparents so that they can see how faith has passed from one generation to the next. And not that we can don't have to give up Sunday school and have a totally age or age integrated church. But there's got to be times when our kids get to know people that are not in their generation and hear their stories of faith, hear how God is working in their life in order for them to understand, to know if they want this faith and to and to really be drawn into it um, because of the life experiences of other people in their lives. Now, Julie, um, here's another question. How do we successfully keep our children in the worship service? This chapter is very practical, and it is just what we do um, to make Sundays and to, to worship God, make it a meaningful part of our lives together as a family. And I, I start by asking the question, what is worship? Do our kids even know why we go to church? And that that worship is not about me, it's about God. And that it is I I liken it to tithing for children when I'm teaching them that tithing is giving God a part of what of everything that He's given us. And worship is giving back time to Jesus and saying thank you for everything you've done for me. Worship is not about getting my worship style. It's not about me even even getting fed spiritually. I don't believe it. It's, and those things happen, and they should happen, but it's more my saying, God, I'm giving you this time to worship you. It's all about you. It's not about me, and I want to tell you thank you. I want to tell you you are worthy of my praise and my worship. And um, that should be the number one reason we go to church, and our children need to know that. And we're going to go through times with them when they don't want to go to church or they say, I'm bored. And when when we hear that, it means they don't understand why we go to church, because it's all about God and that He is worthy to be worshipped. And that is what we do as a family and I believe that they'll grow into understanding who God is. And it's not about me. It's about giving honor and reverence to God on Sunday in worship. Julie, at the end of your book, <clears throat> you raise another question. What's the goal? Question mark. Yes, and this chapter is just all about evaluating how are we doing in our family right now? You know, in if you have kids in, in preschool, if you have kids in 
in grade school or high school, how are we doing? And what are what are the the things that we should be seeing in our home? And God led me to the Lord's Prayer. And I I'll never forget this. I was doing a seminar in actually in Pennsylvania and I I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought I don't like the way this talk is going. And God gave me the Lord's Prayer um, and as a model of how we can just evaluate how we're doing. Is God's name hollowed in our family? Are we putting God first in our family? Are we really giving him that place? Um, and and does, do our children really know how much we want God in our home? <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, our guest has been Julie Kurz, <clears throat> coming to us from Phoenix, Arizona. Her book, For the Faith of the Next Generation, a resource for ministry leaders and parents. Uh, stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've got more. <clears throat> this is AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. <clears throat> Julie, terrific. Thank you so much. Uh, our guest in that first segment, Julie Kurz uh, from Phoenix, uh, talking about her book, For the Faith of the Next Generation, a resource for ministry leaders and parents. While we stay uh, out west, uh, Robert Jeffress is with us, uh, uh, the senior pastor, First Baptist Church, Dallas, 15,000 members strong. And his book is out. Uh, 18 Minutes with Jesus, straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. Robert, welcome uh, to Orlando. Uh, So glad to visit with you. It's always nice to catch up with you. Great to be back with you, Pat. Thanks for having me. Robert, I got a million questions uh, before we even get to the book. Uh, When you hear First Baptist Dallas, First Baptist Orlando, First Baptist Atlanta, uh, all over the country. What, what, is, what does that mean, First Baptist in these cities? Explain that. Well, I think, you know, I, I really believe uh, all churches that preach the gospel and preach God's Word are being used by God, but I think every town needs a flagship church that mm-hmm. has a long history of stability and a long history of faithfulness to God and His Word. And uh, uh, my predecessor, Dr. W.A. Crystal, was pastor here for 50 years, and when everybody started moving to the suburbs, churches did. He refused to do that. He said every church needs a downtown church, and he remained here, and God blessed that decision and continues to bless our church. Uh, you know, I I tell people uh, we add that title, Baptist, because we always have, but our church is open to anybody and everybody who loves Jesus Christ and wants to know His Word. And uh, God has blessed our church. I just celebrated my 15th anniversary here mm. a couple of weeks ago, and it's a church I grew up in, so uh, it's an honor to pastor a church that has been known for 150 years for its stand on the inerrant, unchanging Word of God. Robert, how did your uh, radio program, Pathway to Victory, come about? Well, Actually, the television version came first. It's a it's a funny story. Uh, one day after our church service, I was in First Baptist Wichita Falls, where I pastored 15 years, and a businessman in our uh, church came up to me and said, Pastor, I believe your messages need to be on national television. And I said, well, that's very nice. Thank you so much. He said, no, you don't understand. I've got a son, a businessman in Denver, and he quit coming to church. But your kind of preaching would appeal to him, and I want to fund a national television ministry for one year mm. to see if we can get the message to him. So we started that. It was uh, we started on a little network, the Baptist Television Network. It was two hundred dollars a week, and we started advertising to low power stations throughout the country. And I remember our first night. You know, we were all ready to see all the telephone calls that would come in, and I was sitting in my office, and the media guy ran in and said, we got a call! We got a call! (laughs) (laughs) And that was kind of the birth of Pathway to Victory about 25 years ago. And now God has just blessed the ministry, and we're 
on TBN every day of the week, and our radio ministry has 1,400 releases every day, and God has blessed it. So we are honored um, by what he's done for us. Robert, tell me about this new book of yours, 18 Minutes with Jesus. Yeah, the subtitle is Straight Talk from the Savior About the Things That Matter Most. I had this idea one day, Pat. You know, I had a friend who had been enthralled by TED Talks. And if your audience doesn't know what a TED Talk is, <laughs> it's a brief speech by an expert on a subject of great interest. Uh, and uh, the rule is it can't be longer than 18 minutes. And I thought, what if Jesus were to come back and give a TED Talk? What would he talk about? <laughs> and the answer came to me. He's already given his TED Talk. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. You can read the Sermon on the Mount in 18 minutes. And yet, even though it's brief, it contains radical thoughts about the things that matter to us, like our sex life, our prayer life, our money, our faith in the culture, uh, how we deal with our enemies. Uh, This is a power-packed sermon that contains radical ideas that ensure not just joy in the next life, but joy in this life as well. So that's what the book 18 Minutes with Jesus is about. It's a fresh look at the Sermon on the Mount for today. Robert uh, Robert Jeffress is our guest. Robert, can you uh, uh, paint the picture? Uh, I, I'm trying to picture this in my mind. Uh, Jesus speaking to a mass of people, his disciples. Uh, what was the setting, and, and how do you think Jesus' voice carried so well? Can you can you bring that alive for us? Well, I, it's if the sermon took place where a lot of people think it took place. Many of us visit that place. You've probably been there, the Mount of Beatitudes in Israel, and it's almost a natural amphitheater. But uh, the audience was composed not just of his disciples, but of his uh, followers who had some interest and some who just wandered by who had no interest. So it was a, a, a message that was for everybody. And uh, I think people had been enthralled with what they had seen Jesus do. They were ready to hear from him. And uh, and included in that group that day were the religious leaders, uh, the Pharisees. And you know, it's interesting, Pat, Jesus' harshest words in the New Testament, and he had some harsh words, were not directed toward adulterers, liars, thieves, but it was toward the religious hypocrites, the Pharisees. And he unmasked them, so to speak, and showed why they concentrated on the externals, appearance. What Jesus was interested in was the heart condition, and you see that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Robert Jeffress is our go- our guest. Uh, Robert, uh, do you think um, uh, do you think that whole message from Jesus in eighteen minutes? Do you think there's a tape somewhere out in a cave? <laughs> uh, well, you know. I, I read somewhere that the waves, the sound waves we repeat, <clears throat> continue like ripples in a pond to go out and out and out into outer space. <clears throat> and uh, that they're out there somewhere if some technology can capture them. I'm not sure that will happen in our lifetime, but wouldn't it be interesting to get the words of Jesus or the words of Abraham Lincoln? But even if we don't have the recordings, the audio recordings, we have the written transmission. I happen to believe that God's Word is without error. It is uh, an accurate representation of exactly what Jesus said, and we can read it every day for ourselves. Uh, Robert, do you think uh, somebody was there taking notes? And how, and how would they have been taking notes? Um, yeah. They didn't, have, they, didn't have, they didn't have paper, did they? They didn't have ballpoint pens. <laughs> well, they didn't have ballpoint pens, but... You know, there were a number of people there listening, and I think what we have to be careful about is understanding that there's a difference between the English language and the Greek language. In the Greek language, there are no quotation marks. You know, we make a big deal about the difference between direct quotation and indirect quotation, but there is no difference between that and the Greek language. So were these all direct quotes, because you find the Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5 through 7. In Luke chapter 6, you find a different version on the Sermon on the Mount. It could be uh, that uh, it was a different message delivered to a different group that 
had some similarities but some differences. A lot of times, you're a professional speaker. You probably do this. I'll go to different locations, and I'll take a message that is well-received, and I'll alter it for the particular audience I'm speaking to. Mm-hmm. But nobody should be troubled, Pat, about the fact that there's a differing account of the Sermon on the Mount. It could be two sermons, or it could be that this is a summary of what Jesus said. But the important thing is, it's part of Scripture. God has protected us, protected us from any kind of error, and I believe He's communicated in the Bible exactly what He wants us to know. Robert, uh, we can't cover the whole book, but I do want to. I'm going to jump right to uh, chapter ten. Straight talk about your eternal destiny. Uh, what What are you writing there? Well, this is the climax of Jesus' message. Uh, He's getting ready to call for a verdict from his audience to make a decision about what they're going to do with his teaching. And Jesus reminds us in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, there is not one road in life that leads to one destination. There are two different roads that lead to two very different destinations. There is a narrow road that leads to eternal life. And Jesus said, few are those who discover it. But the way is broad, the way is wide that leads to destruction, and many who are on it. And you know, the most important choice we make, Pat, in life is where we're going to spend eternity. Are we going to spend it in heaven with Jesus, or are we going to spend it in hell, separated from God? It's life's most important decision, and it's a decision we make right now in this life. And I think it's uh, important that Jesus saves Uh, that discussion for last. And by the way, it answers a question so many people have about Christianity. They'll ask me, how can you say Jesus is the only way to heaven? Well, if that's true, that means there are billions of people who don't embrace Christianity who are going to hell. How can so many people be wrong? Well, that's exactly what Jesus predicted. He said very few people will be in heaven compared to the masses that will be in hell. Uh, Robert, I got to tell you a little story. Uh, I, I'm really, uh, I'm really p- pushing to share my faith uh, stronger than ever. And you know what I'm doing? I did this with a, my dentist yesterday. It, just one question: D- Do you believe there's life after this one? And uh, boy, that that get, that gets a discussion stirring, you know. And yeah. it, and you know what most of them say to me? Uh, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> That's how most of it comes back. It happened yesterday. I, I don't know. Is that right? What do you think? And well, you know, what you're talking about, Pat, is exactly what Jesus talks about in this Sermon on the Mount when he talks about our role in the world today. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You know, salt had several functions. One was to create thirst. Uh, you'd give salt tablets to animals to create thirst so that they stay hydrated in the Eastern climate. We're supposed to do that. And what we say in asking questions, just like you ask, helps create spiritual thirst in people and serves as an entree to talk about eternal things. Robert Jeffries is our guest. We have another segment with Robert. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950, 990, excuse me. AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. Robert Jeffress, uh, the longtime uh, pastor at uh, First Baptist Church, Dallas. We're talking about his book, 18 Minutes with Jesus. But, Robert, you knew in advance before coming on this show, you knew this question was coming. You knew it. Uh, your, your thoughts on our governor here, Ron DeSantis. Boy, he can't stay out of the news uh, what, what 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 are you thinking about him? What's going on? Well, I've never met Governor DeSantis, uh, so uh, all I can do is, uh, like most voters, I can only judge by policies. And uh, I really do believe, and again, going back to my book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, and Jesus saying we're to be salt. You know, we talked before the break about how salt enhances thirst. But the major role of salt in Jesus' day was to serve as a preservative in the days before refrigeration. Salt could not prevent the decay of meat, but it delayed the decay. It gave meat a longer shelf life. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, Jesus said, I want you 
to have a preserving influence on this culture. Not that you're going to keep it from crumbling and collapsing. That's part of the plan. But you can prolong uh, the culture and the country so that we have longer to share the gospel with people. That's why we push back against evil, Pat. And how Christians do that today, the best way we push back against evil in our world is by the electors we select, the elected officials we select. Leaders, of government leaders, determine the policies of a nation. The policies of a nation determine the moral and spiritual direction of a nation. And that's why Christians ought to be involved in the political process. And now, again, you know, I don't know Governor DeSantis, but I do know he's pro-life. He's pro-religious liberty. He uh, believes many of the biblical values we think this nation was built upon. And so I would support him for that reason as if I were uh, a resident of Florida. And uh, I think this idea that Christians ought to stay out of politics is ridiculous. Uh, you know, salt does no good if it stays in the salt shaker. <laughs> have a preserving influence on the culture, it has to get out of the shaker and penetrate the culture. And we do that through the leaders we elect, and we do it by going to school board meetings and speaking out against this ungodly transgender agenda that's being crammed down our throats. We stand up for wrong policies in the workplace or in school. We're to be salt in this decaying world. Robert, I'm encouraged. Uh, I just got through reading uh, Senator Tim Scott's book, and I just finished reading uh, Governor Kristi Noem's book. Uh, boy, they're solid in their faith. I mean, they're, unash- they're unabashed, unashamed. Uh, you're proclaiming their, their faith in Christ. I'm, I'm greatly encouraged just with those two books. Yeah. And again, you know, the cynic will say, well, they're just catering to get votes. Who cares? I mean, who cares what their motivation is for embracing godly uh, values? Uh, That's not our job to determine motives. We're trying to get policies enacted that will allow us to continue to practice our faith freely, share freely, protect life, and do the things that God ordained government to do. Robert Jeffries is... uh is our guest. We're talking about his book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, but you knew, you knew I was going to take just a little walk down the political world. Uh, Robert, before I get back to the book, what, what do you think uh, uh, President Donald Trump's mind is uh, in his mind today? What do you think he's thinking about his life, about his future? What What's going on in his head? Well, I, I would not presume to know what is in President Trump's head, but I will say, uh, He has been a friend now for seven years. He continues to be a friend. Uh, He came to our church last December, just decided that he was going to be in Dallas, came to our church for our Christmas service. Really? And we had a great time. And, uh, you know, uh, he uh, at the end of the service, uh, I said, you know, the president used to allow me at the White House Christmas party to come up and share a word about the true meaning of Christmas and lead in prayer. So I'm going to return the favor and ask President Trump to come to our pulpit and say a word about Christmas. Mm. And he came up, Pat, and he said, you know, I listened to Robert's sermon, and he talked a lot about a Savior, how America needs a Savior, and how Jesus is the Savior. And he said, you know, he's right. America does need a Savior. America has a Savior, and it's not me. It's somebody much higher than me. And he pointed up to heaven. And he spent the next few minutes talking about Jesus and what a dire condition our world would be in if Jesus had not been born. Wow. And so, you Mm. know, uh, uh, I love President Trump. I appreciate all of the good things that he did uh, in our country, and uh, not least of which was uh, forming three pro-life Supreme Court justices and 200 conservative federal judges. And uh, I continue to support him. Robert, um, 18 Minutes with Jesus, your, your first chapter. We, we already did the last chapter, but I've got to ask you about the first chapter. Straight talk about your happiness. Uh, what, what does that mean? Well, again, it's following the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, uh, Jesus, like any good communicator, starts with talking about the benefits for the listener of applying his message. And he said, if you live this radical kind of righteousness, you're going to be blessed. And he paints for us eight characteristics of somebody who lives righteously. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. That word blessed, Pat, uh, sometimes gets translated happiness. Mm-hmm. But that's not the best translation. In our culture, happiness is a superficial emotion that is tied to happening, circumstances. And therefore, if things are good, we're happy. If they're not good, we're unhappy. The better word is joy. That's what Jesus is talking about. Not a superficial giddiness, but he said that calm word, that calm inward assurance that God is in control of everything that is happening. If you want a blessed life, a joyful life, here are the attitudes that will help produce that. And then and, you. Uh, that's what it's about. Robert, then you go to uh, straight talk about your faith. Uh, explain that. Right. Again, Jesus goes straight from that to Matthew 5.13, where he tells us what he's left us here to do. And he said, you're salt. We talked about that. You're a preservative. But he said, you're also the light of the world. There is no upside to preventing the collapse of our world if at the same time we're not sharing with the world the truth of Jesus Christ. We are never going to change America, Pat, until we change the hearts of Americans. And the only way to change a person's heart is to introduce them to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me use real quickly this analogy. Just imagine there's a giant dam holding back two million gallons of water, and there's a little village below the dam, and the village people look up and they notice the dam is starting to crumble. Leaks are starting to spring. So a group of the townspeople go up, and they start pushing back against the dam. Now, they know their work is ultimately futile. They know the dam's going to crumble and the flood's coming, but they're pushing back in order to give the townspeople below a chance to find a place of safety. And that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. With one hand, pushing back against evil, but only so that we have time to present to people the saving truth of Jesus Christ. That's the job of Christians. It's not either be salt or be light. It's not either get involved in politics or share the gospel. It is both things we're to do if we're going to be obedient disciples of Christ. Robert, tell me about straight talk about your relationships. Right. Well, this is about how to get along with people, and there's another chapter that coincides with it about straight talk about your adversaries, how to deal with your enemies. And again, we have this idea that uh, uh, it's impossible to do what Jesus said. You know, Jesus said, you've heard it said, you know, the law of retaliation, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know, the problem with that law is eventually everybody turns up, turns up blind and toothless. <laughs> There's got to be a way to de-escalate the violence. And he said, instead, he said, love your enemies. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Now, a slapping on the cheek didn't endanger somebody's life. Nobody died from being slapped on the cheek. He was saying, refuse to return insult for insult. Instead, love your enemies. That doesn't mean you want to hang out with them necessarily. To love your enemies means to pray God's best for your enemies. And by the way, this idea of turning the other cheek, that is for individual relationships. Nowhere in the Bible does uh, God say your nations are supposed to turn the other cheek, or nations are supposed to uh, love their enemies. Uh, The Bible says government has been ordained to protect its citizens. But in human relationships, God calls us to a different standard. Robert, uh, last topic. Straight talk about your prayer life. Uh, Help us with that. Well, this is the section in which Jesus talks about how to communicate with our Heavenly Father. He said, don't be like the Gentiles who just engage in meaningless repetition and words, thinking that the more they talk, the more they'll be uh, heard by God. Instead, you know, pray sincerely. Pray not what you think should be in your heart, but pray what's really in your heart. And he gives us a model for praying. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Interestingly, Pat, nowhere is this prayer ever recited in the Bible. The apostles never said it. Uh, None of the early church repeated it. Uh, This is not a mantra to be repeated. It's a model on how to pray. 
you know, praying for God's glory, praying for our practical needs. There's a model for how we ought to communicate honestly with our Heavenly Father. And that's what the chapter is about on Straight Talk About Your Prayer Life. Give me 30 seconds on on praying for God's will in our life, Robert. Yeah, you know, God's will, sometimes when we talk about God's will, uh, we're talking about uh, God's plan for our life. Sometimes we can know what that is. Sometimes we don't. But when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're talking about the preceptive will of God. What is it that God wants from me? You know, Tip O'Neill, the house leader, used to say, all politics is local. Well, the same is about prayer requests for godliness and God's will. It begins with me. The problem for most of us is not the part of God's will we don't know. It's the part we do know. You know, First Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. We ought to pray the part of the Bible we know is God's will for us. Well, folks, Robert Jeffress has been our guest. The book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. Thanks so much for joining us. We've got a wrap-up right after these messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. The wrap-up. The wrap-up. Well, folks, thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this every weekend, and what a treat it is, and we're so glad when you join us. Now, in this first segment, Julie Kurz was our guest from Phoenix, Arizona, uh, talking about her book, For the Faith of the Next Generation, a resource for ministry leaders and parents. And then uh, we had the privilege of uh, having a wonderful chat with Robert Jeffress, Senior pastor of that big church down in Dallas, First Baptist Dallas, Fox News contributor. And uh, we talked about Robert's book, uh, 18 Minutes with Jesus, straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. And folks, speaking of books, my most recent book is out. It's called Every Day is Game Day. It's a 365-day sports devotional. I wrote it with my friend Mark Atterbury. I I think you'll enjoy it immensely. When you, so when you go up and order these books, uh, make sure you get a copy of Every Day is Game Day. Well, thanks for joining us. <clears throat> we'll see you next weekend here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And stay tuned all day long to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. We'll see you next weekend. God bless. <laughs> 